Most entrepreneurs struggle to generate more customers and online leads. Lack of quality online leads means lack of revenue, and that's bad for your business. Here at Investing in the US Podcast, we have partnered up with Ardor SEO, who have developed a system to help maximize your business and online exposure. Your experience as a business owner can radically change for the better with the right SEO team. And with Ardor's system, you wouldn't believe how simple it can be. So find out more by heading over to ardorseo.com. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now back into the show. Hey guys, now before we dive into today's show, I just want to give you a quick heads up that the audio recording on my guest side, Andrew Phelps, he's a cracking guy that knows everything about user interface and design. We had an incredible show, but his audio was a little bit in and out because he was in an area um, where the, the internet service was a little bit poor. So if you can just bear with the bad audio for a period of time, um, he has some incredible advice. So please pay attention and I hope you enjoy the show. To make a good product, you really just need to ask questions, listen to the answers, and um, try to solve the problems that the customers are telling you about. And so that's about um, refining things to meet their expectations. And that'll make you a great product and great, I'm sorry, a good product and good products can make you a lot of money. Uh, To make a great product, you need a little bit of that X factor. What's something that goes above and beyond? What's unexpected? What's going to surprise a user and what's going to surprise them in a good way? Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Phelps. Andrew is the creative director of User 10, a boutique studio focused on SaaS product strategy and design. He leads design teams at small startups as well as enterprise brands. 
Andrew has, has conceptualized new products for some of the largest software companies in the world and an expert in product strategy and design. He understands that every client is different and that good design equals great business. To top it all off, Andrew was named as one of Arizona Republic's 35 under 35. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and experience, but enough out of me, let's get him out of here. G'day, Andrew. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited. Mate, my pleasure. Um, before we dive into the nuts and bolts, uh, the, the the stock standard question on this show, uh, we'd like to have a bit of fun, is uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Well, the first one, I'm not sure, but it would be dog sitting or babysitting. I started really young uh, here in Arizona. It's super hot in the summer and plenty of people go away and they leave their dogs behind. So my sister and I would uh, walk around the neighborhood, <laughs> unlocking different houses, giving the dogs the attention they need, and uh, collecting a little money in the process. Great. And, and so, growing up in Arizona, did you, did you have you know parents, or uh, was it instilled in you the value of a dollar? Absolutely. So, uh, compared to my compared to my friends, uh, our allowance and <laughs> our allowance was at a, at a lower rate. So, I think I had to work a little harder for my allowance at a young age. Um, but my, my, my parents are incredibly, uh, incredibly uh, money conscious and, and thrifty folks. So I definitely learned the value of the dollar at a young age. And I, I learned uh, a lot about hard work and the expectation that if you're going to do anything, you should, you should do it at the highest quality you can. Awesome. Well, yeah, I love that type of upbringing because I, and the reason this, this, I asked that question is to tease out that little bit of, of upbringing that people know the value of a dollar because this show is all about uh, understanding how people have built businesses and it's typically built off understanding one, the value of a dollar and two, a bunch of hard bloody work. So, um, <laughs> so but with, with that being said, walk us through the journey of, of how you've got to from, from babysitting dogs and kids to all the way through to now being you know, announced as Arizona Republic's 35 under 35 and, and, and what's the journey been like? Well, I think like everyone's journey, it's not a straight shot. It's a lot of bouncing around and looking back, you uh, can connect the dots, but it's not always, uh, you don't always know where you're headed. So uh, I've been entrepreneurially minded and interested in doing things uh, to, from a business perspective. So uh, growing up, did um, t-shirt design when I was younger, when I started college, then freelance graphic design, um, you know, anything from like a coupon layout for uh, a, a local restaurant to business cards, that sort of thing. Um, and I went to, went to college for design, uh, got addicted uh, to process and to the, the career there uh, with the help of a mentor. And uh, at the end of my college career, I thought I had a job lined up, but it ended up falling through. And I took that as a sign that I needed to uh, continue on my path of entrepreneurship and do my own thing. So out of college, I moved back with my parents, back to my childhood bedroom, and uh, started freelancing online and slowly saved enough money to move out um, in a matter of months. And then in a shared apartment, a uh, shared cheap apartment, uh, did the same thing for a few more years, built my network, built connections, and started working with some of the folks that I'm working with today. And over the That's I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, so over the course of the last few years, I built uh, User 10 into uh, you know, a really high level boutique studio focused on UX and UI design uh, and specializing in strategy for SaaS companies and building the 2.0 version of products. Got it, got it. And so are you, 
I guess what's the the desire to get into user interface? Because it seems like you geek out a little bit on the design element of it, just based on what you, the description there of how you earned a little bit of money as you got out of your parents' uh, house and into your own um, you know apartment. But but why is it so important to have that that design element of any business? You know, key and and looking professional and um, to to attract you know uh, brand to attract customers and to attract talent and to attract partnerships and all that sort of good stuff. Well, I think one of the metaphors that uh, I like to lean on is it's a lot like the outfit you wear. Um, <clears throat> it's about dressing your and looking your best. It's not about uh, telling a lie of who you are, but it's about putting your best foot forward. And so design is a powerful tool for storytelling and, um, and also for products. To make products great, you need to use the process of design to make them as easy to use and as wonderful as they can possibly be. So that process... Uh, plays such an integral role in everything. And Steve Jobs said it best that uh, design isn't how it looks, it's how it works. Mm, mm. So how, I guess, do you bring the how it works into the, the design element of it to make sure that when people do look at a brand or do look at a company, that they're, they're typically the first thing they see is their logo or their, their, their branding. So how do you make sure that I'm not being you know, uh, hoodwinked with really awesome design and, and branding, but actually that nothing bloody works. <laughs> That's a great question. And, and you will see it all the time. I mean, I think the reality is that uh, good design can make a good product or a good business great, but good design is never going to make a bad business or a bad product great. You may hoodwink some people, you may trick some people and steal their money, but at the end of the day, you're never going to grow a successful business or a successful product, um, you know, using designs as a, a shade from the truth. Mm. And, and I guess when, when you're talking about design, you're not just talking about branding design, you're talking about the whole ecosystem of whether it be the product itself or you specifically work with software interfaces. Um, but you, know, I'm, you, you mentioned uh, Steve Jobs before, but like you know, the simplicity of the, uh, the iPhone or the, the iPod back in the day, which is such an incredibly sleek, simple design uh, and that is what you're talking about, right? When you come to, to encompass the word design, correct? Correct. Talking about design thinking, which has been popularized uh, in the startup world and, and, the, and the software as a service world. Uh, and it's the process you use to uh, really tackle any problem. But my company does focus on software. And so point of this conversation, it's making a product good, which is meeting user expectations and meeting customer expectations, and then making a product great, which is exceeding customer expectations. What can you do that puts a puts a smile on their face that makes people live in the moment a little bit, even if it's a boring software as a service tool? <laughs> so I guess what have been some of the challenges that you've seen when you you are designing you know, good branding and good products for these companies that may necessarily might be a little bit more like oh, a boring software company. <laughs> you know, I think the biggest challenge is, is, is probably just uh, communication and teamwork. So design is the process. It's not the finished product. Um, the finished product we like to ooh and eye at, but a lot of hard work from a lot of people to those finished products. And it's really important to have uh, an aligned front and deep, truthful conversations based on data and based on strategy to, uh, you know, lead the process in a direction where you can produce good results. And the biggest things I've learned are about communication, leadership, and understanding the pitfalls of the process that, you know, keep good ideas from uh, ever reaching 
ever reaching the market where they can have an impact. Right, right. And I guess what we're really talking about is that you're essentially building assets within the business. You talk, you, you spoke about brand, you spoke about leadership, you spoke about teamwork. Um, and, and, and that is, these are all individual, for, for better intents and purposes, assets, right? That they, they, each, each company has its own assets. They've got good leaders, they've got good teamwork, or they, they might have good leaders, but they don't know how to tease out that, um, the, the good ideas. And so they need platforms and operating systems to make sure that that design, quote unquote, is, is the harmonious glue that brings it all together in order to bring products out and, and have services or whatever the business might produce in order to have an outward facing, you know, client interfacing type of um, feel and look to it that people are really going to, you know, love the product and love the, love the service or love the output of what you guys come in to do and help these companies um, you know, come up with these great ideas and design it at the end of the day. Is that, is that something that, that you would agree with in terms of the asset portion of it? Absolutely. I think there's, a, there's probably a million different factors that lead to a successful design process. Um, but the best stuff is, is made by really creative people who are um, usually really smart and really opinionated. And it's about being able to navigate all those things and getting alignment and saying, you know, that's great for now. This is great for later. Um, you know, that doesn't really serve us from a strategic point. So let's figure out how to keep that person happy. And when you're building these larger products, you're working with a lot of people and um, it's, uh, it can be a challenging, but very rewarding uh, orchestration of, of all those talented folks. And I guess, what is the difference between great user experience and interface and, and, and just, you know, average user experience and interface? So I would say what it takes is, uh, is that meeting expectations versus exceeding them. So to make a good product, you really just need to ask questions, listen to the answers, and um, try to solve the problems that the customers are telling you about. And so that's about... Um, refining things to meet their expectations. And that'll make you a great product and great, I'm sorry, a good product and good products can make you a lot of money. Uh, to make a great product, you need a little bit of that X factor. What's something that goes above and beyond? What's unexpected? What's going to surprise a user and what's going to surprise them in a good way? So that's where you get into the territory of uh, Henry Ford talking about uh, if he asked a customer what they wanted, they would set a faster horse, um, but he decided to give them a car. So that's kind of where I draw the line is a good mm. product will meet your expectations, uh, but a great product will surprise you and probably give you something you didn't know you wanted. And I guess how much of a, and, and you, you bring a lot of thought provoking uh, emotions, my, my head's spinning a little bit now, but how do you, when you're coming into these, because you you you, off, you act as a third-party vendor to come in and, and create products and create design and all that sort of stuff for, for, for software companies. So if you have bad leadership or bad business culture, does that hamstring you to, cre to creating better services and products and overall design and user interfaces for that company? And, and it, does, it, does it hurt your ability to do what you're good at? Absolutely. I mean, I think... The, one of the things I talk openly about with my customers that never ceases to amaze me is that most of the time we're hired by executives and then we go to the people on the front lines and we say, hey, what are the problems? What are the issues? And the people on the front lines tell the problems and issues. And then we go back to the executives and say, hey, here's what our research, you know, <laughs> here's what our research said. It's what your people said. And they're like, wow, how did you come up with this stuff? You know, it's amazing the, the ideas you guys came up with. And at the end of the day, we're just asking those folks how to improve them. and those are the people who are 
dealing with the customers or are trying to sell the product, you know, they know it best. So, uh, it's very mm. strange, but a huge, a huge part of our job is, is bridging that gap within, um, bridging that design gap within companies and helping, uh, you know, teams of people in their internal structures understand what's going on with the product, how each of their individual concerns fit into the overall strategy, and playing some of that um, ambassador and, and relationship uh, to, to, again, make that united front. Because a big problem with the production of new products and especially software products is timing. They can be very complex and new ideas are added, um, you know, added to the mixed very consistently. So a huge piece of the puzzle is being able to manage that process. So you are continually turning out products, new features, and iterating on those features. So uh, a massive part of design is testing what you've made, make sure it does what you wanted it to do, and then uh, you know explore the new ideas that come from that. So sometimes you'll roll something out, it doesn't work how you expected, and your next big focus is fixing what you just broke. Um, more likely you're going to roll something out and that'll give your customers, your customer service folks, your salespeople, your engineers, um, and your, your executive team, new ideas about what comes next because we've taken things in a whole new direction. And speaking about new direction, like and we go back to the Steve Jobs analogy a lot, but you know, with the, the Apple um, Mac and then into the iPod and then into cloud storage, which wasn't necessarily the primary product that he was trying to sell. But these whole you talk about the iterations um, when you do great design, you do great products, you do great user interfaces with the Mac and, and the iPod. But then it comes to all these other, other ancillary businesses that can stem from that. So working in that software world, do you see a lot of those things pop up as you start to, I guess, weed through um, the design elements that you do in your business and, and help these clients, you know, come to a better product or come to a better user interface? And then all of a sudden, these other ideas are popping up that you can go and add it to an ecosystem of that business? Absolutely. I mean, I think the bigger challenge is knowing which of the many, many new opportunities to pursue and, and, right. and yes. weeding through um, all the different factors that could make one of them a great idea and another one a huge flop. And you can never mitigate all the risk, but a big piece of the strategy side that we do is, is saying, hey, which of these are ripe for the picking? And, and sometimes, uh, and Steve Jobs is a great example, a number of products that wasn't ready for um, and, and they flopped, but the ones that they were ready for made him a, a household name. And, and it's a very common thing. Um, with the people we know, certain software companies will fail. And then a year or two later, the same exact concept from coming from someone else will succeed. And there's a whole slew of reasons why that could be, but most of the time, just whether the market is ready. Mm-hmm. And back to my earlier point, there's obviously market factors, but go back to the internal conflicts and all that sort of stuff and leadership and culture and blah, 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 blah. Like, does that have a, does that have an impact as well? Like it's probably, as you said, there's a whole slew of issues that, that why SaaS companies don't necessarily might be not the right time and place in the market, but there's also inner conflict that also might, you know, force a company not to launch properly a product or might not get out into the world where it can be successful. Absolutely. So there's two scenarios of failed SaaS companies I've seen a number of times. One is a sales-led company. So the founder's probably a salesperson, probably a marketing guy, and he knows how to tell the story of how things 
of how things will be in this glorious future. So they can rile up interest from investors, they can rile up interest from enterprise clients, and they kind of launch with uh, a bang and there's the expectations are high um, from the investors and uh, from the business itself. And then the enterprises are you know, given access to the product and it doesn't do much. It's like it's a lot of vaporware. And so then the enterprises say, well, wait, I'm paying you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year. You need to make me these things that you promised me. And so that company will start uh, scrambling to make their big enterprise clients all these custom solutions. And so they end up being in a custom service business, not a product business. And over the years, they are putting all their effort into these custom solutions with no unified single product and sell and scale and so it kind of fizzles out and then on the flip side of the coin is the opposite problem so that i would describe that problem as over servicing individual clients and then the product suffers from not getting the attention it deserves so the scalable side of the business doesn't get the attention it deserves on the flip side of the coin you have founders who are uh, completely obsessed with the scalable product and they won't make any concessions for their first customers, right? So they'll get uh, their first customers on the platform. The first customers are the only people paying in their bills. And they say, well, can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? And instead of, you know, getting distracted by those things, they'll say, no, we're building the scalable product. Well, those initial customers will get frustrated and leave. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum, but I think it's important to find that balance between how do we serve our, our customers and, and collect the revenue we need to grow versus how do we make sure that our scalable products getting the attention it deserves for long-term vision? Investing in the US podcast is proudly sponsored by ardorseo.com. Online marketing for your business shouldn't be a headache. And that's why the guys over at Ardor SEO have created a no-hassle system that will increase your online traffic, increase your leads, and generate predictable and reliable revenue. So what are you waiting for? Head over to ardorseo.com and find out more. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now, back into the show. It's always a fine balancing act, right? And, and you, you talk about a lot of issues within that. There's the 80-20 rule, which you spoke about, and, and, and the founder syndrome, where this founder has a very big, lofty vision for products, and it never, ever gets to out to the world because it's so much being iterated and iterated and iterated. And there's the other side of the coin where it's just you don't have your two systems orientated and you never get a product out. So very interesting. What you, you mentioned earlier storytelling. How, how important is that to building good design um, and thus then into a good user interface? I mean, I would say it's, it's everything. So um, I'm a huge believer in the power of words and I've joked with my team that if I were going to start a design school, the first year to two years would just be writing and typography. So you wouldn't be allowed to use any photographs or graphics or anything because I believe it's just the foundation. Language is the foundation of how we communicate and how we think. And uh, if you haven't mastered it, uh, you're kind of wasting your time with the things that sit on top of it. So uh, storytelling is huge and you have to be able to paint the picture of that beautiful vision in the future and you have to be able to navigate conversations um, uh, of any kind to paint that picture of the future and then make concessions that and help people understand that's why we're doing this today and so storytelling is is, is instrumental for um, visionary people to communicate their ideas to people who are more logistical and process oriented and vice versa right. uh, it's imperative that 
those process oriented and logistical people um, can tell their story uh, to the visionaries because it really takes both sides and it it's like a healthy tension between the two that makes the best stuff. So storytelling is paramount to that communication. And then I'd say the other thing to add is that storytelling and the visual storytelling that uh, comes with getting investment for new products uh, is huge. Um, we've helped a number of companies raise millions of dollars uh, just with designs and prototypes that look like a finished product. Um, and those, hmm. those, visual storytelling tools, you know, help show an investor, um, like this is where we're going. And it, you know, on a practical sense, you can say this is the prototype, but it doesn't really matter when, and when they see it move, when they see it look like a finished product, you can't help but feel already there. And the storytelling is imperative for that kind of emotional, um, the ability to tap into those emotions that really drive all of us to do what we do. Well, yeah, in, in, it's, we're, we all are human beings at the end of the day, right? And we all have a reptilian brain in there and it's sort of, it's, it's appeasing that reptilian brain of terms of, well, this design and this story really resonates with me and I like it and thus I'm going to invest in whatever this is. So um, rather than the, uh, maybe the, the, the behind the scenes nuts and bolts of, of how a product actually works and, you know, you talk about building prototypes and people investing just based on the prototype because if it looks and feels good and there's a good story attached with it, and then hell yeah, let's get involved. So it comes down to good pitching, I guess, is what, is what you're also saying from, from a design point of view, right? Absolutely. And I'm a big believer that we make all of our decisions emotionally and then find the logical reasons for why we made them after the fact. Um, so <laughs> and I think storytelling is a key, a key part of that. Yeah, no, I 100%. And storytelling is part of how you get your message across for the business, right? Like whether it be a personal storytelling, like with, with personal branding or with or personal branding or personal design or with a maybe more of a big corporation where it's trying to be more uh, accessible to the average folks. So coming in and trying to change that design, change that look um, is really, really important to, to resonate with the, the, the part of the brain that people want to feel like they're being touched by. So it's it's really really important. Um, in one of the, what are the, some of the bigger opportunities you see with SaaS op- uh, SaaS companies in their innovation as they grow here in twenty twenty and and beyond? That's a great question. So I think the biggest opportunity are kind of at the middle and the back of the pack. So, you know, technology has made it incredibly easy and inexpensive to automate simple things. And I think there's still a ton of opportunity for entrepreneurs to find that one thing where they can save someone some time in their industry. Um, our, some of our uh, successful products, you know, don't do anything impressive. They just uh, replace a process that's usually, um, usually done with spreadsheets and emails and a little, you know, a lot of time and headache. Uh, and I think there, if you have uh, the ability to kind of identify the, those uh, inefficiencies in legacy industries and industries that are maybe behind the pack in technology, there's a huge opportunity to grow products that are, you know, doing one to $10 million a year in revenue. Um, and when they're so s- stupid simple, you can build a number of them, right? So I'm a huge Give me an example. Uh, so gift cards. Um, there's a million services that dole out gift cards. We have a platform that is just the simplest and easiest way for people to reward their salespeople with gift cards. And 
these big enterprises have a lot of trouble with their other vendors, their customer service is terrible, their systems are terrible, and it doesn't really alleviate any of their headache. And so, you know, our product, I'd be lying if I told you it's a great product. It's not, it's a good product. It's just, it works well, it's super simple. And when people call with questions, we pick up the phone. It's a pretty bar, low bar to hit um, for something that's such a money maker. Mm, interesting. Um, in terms of, you know, for, for those clients out there listening to this, this podcast, uh, the, the lower end where there may be more micro or boutique level style of size, where I'm talking between one to 10 employees, what can, you know, the founders and leaders do within those companies today to make sure that they are, they're looking at themselves in the right light and saying, hey, do I do need a better user interface or do I do need to replace that really pain in the neck uh, process with something that could be a better user interface or a better experience to help drive up sales or to help drive just productivity within the company? What, what, what are some of advice can you give to those people out there? Absolutely. So I think um, one of the new things, uh, one of the new hot topics is called no code. There's a whole bunch of tools that let you build simple software for your business, for your personal life, whatever you want. Um, using no code at all. So <clears throat> I'm not an expert in it, but I'm amazed by some of the things I've seen. And I think you can start by taking a step back and uh, looking at your processes. Uh, and I always say, what do you hate doing? Not what takes the most time, not what, you know, if you're going to be, a, you don't have to pretend to be a data scientist. Like think about your last week and what did you hate doing? What, you know, what brought you down? What drains you of energy? And one, figure out, figure out if you can make that any easier on yourself with software. Two, see if you can hire someone to do it. Because in my experience, the energy is the energy and your excitement for your business is everything. And the things taking it away um, are the highest priority. But uh, on the note of no code, there's amazing things you can do to automate um, your spreadsheets. You know, my business partner has all of our finance stuff automated from QuickBooks into Google Sheets. And he could probably talk for a whole episode on that stuff, but it's amazing. Um, you know, we do such a, such minimal stuff with our finances. Um, and every week I get to check our, check our scorecard and see exactly how things are going. So that's kind of one big thing. I think the other thing is just talk to your employees, talk to your customers, ask for feedback. So few people ask for feedback and interview you know, in the software world, we call them users, but customers interview the people you interact with. They'll give you the best ideas and they will tell you things about your business you don't even know. You know, going remote over the last few weeks, um, I've seen three Zoom updates roll out. So as Zoom's customer, uh, customer base expanded, you know, we've been using Zoom Freeze and they have these new features popping up now that their uh, volume is at, at a significant place and they have a new user base that has new issues, right? So listening to those customers and, and not jumping on everything they tell you, but at least uh, listening with an open mind. You know, I think it's, it's really important that you, what you've, the very basic fundamentals of what you're saying. It's, a, it's a stop self-reflection, things you hate, and then trying to develop a system around it, which maybe can involve uh, a better user interface or a better process, but also getting that feedback. And again, it comes back to that stopping and asking for the feedback. And so many companies and leaders and founders don't actually do with that, right? And it's it's just getting into the habit of doing it consistently to in order to enable you to build better products in your business to drive the revenue. Um, but sometimes we're so enthralled with the business that it's hard to 
take the blinkers off and step back and okay, where are we going? Where's the North Star here? And, and, and we need to make the process better because it's currently not working great right now. So, which is, to be honest, sitting here in COVID-19, we're all in lockdown. Um, a lot, hopefully a lot of people are working on that, right? Like I know I'm, I'm personally in my business of working on, you know, the different assets. I spoke before, uh, before we press record here about the different business digital assets that I have. Now I, I have a real estate investment company and I'm talking about digital assets to attract more investors. So um, there's just different things that we all need to look at when we come to making sure our business is running smoothly and using this time, I think around COVID-19, uh, when business is a little slower, to maybe doubling down on on some of the assets within the business or the processes um, to make that user interface better, to make the design better, to make it look and feel um, better. But it also it starts with getting that feedback from clients, um, customers, and uh, and your employees. So, so yeah. So what what have you got planned, I guess, for twenty twenty and beyond? Uh, given that we are sitting here in COVID nineteen, I don't want to be too. I want this hopefully topic to be evergreen, but you know we are. You mentioned Zoom before. I think everyone Zoom seems to be the only company probably making a bunch of money in this in this COVID nineteen. But uh, what are you doing personally uh, to help you grow more uh, in your business to help your business grow more in the next uh, six to twelve months? So our plan is pretty much the same. We haven't seen uh, a dip in business just yet. We are in a lagging industry. Service industry lags behind for by a few months, so it's not. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very possible that we'll be hit here in, in a matter of weeks. Um, so, but until the, until the data suggests that we need to worry more, we're on the same path. We're helping clients, um, doing everything remote. It's very easy in a software business, uh, is a nice part of the design process is done in person, but we're managing, um, online just like one else's and putting more, putting more effort and time into our software products. So the gift card product I told you about, and then it's sister product, which is a little bit more uh, sophisticated, lets sales managers run incentives for their team. And then when they achieve the results they're looking for, they can choose from a bunch of online gift cards. So again, just an efficiency tool that puts sales managers in control of uh, the incentive programs they wanna run without a ton of overhead and, of time and, and money and distraction. So those are the big things. Um, we've also reached out to our clients um, who are in the healthcare industry, who are in uh, nonprofit sectors who serve uh, job seekers and, and the members of our community that, that may need more help during this time. So we've uh, reached out to support them and uh, are offering a number of, of uh, services and, and, and time free to them to try to help with the crisis as well. Interesting. No, I think it's... Uh... It's super important to double down on your current relationships because they're going to be the, the people that are going to help you see this, any sort of you know, waves or turbulence that we're going to, any business may experience in the coming uh, six to 12 months. So I think that's, that's very, very wise. Uh, what are you doing on a personal level? You, you know, you're stuck at home with the, 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 the family at all and uh, pulling your hair out or what? Um, I was, uh, I married my wife in January. So this is our, uh, I jokingly called it our homey moon where <laughs> trapped inside but uh it's been it's been great i've actually loved being at home i do love being in the office as well um it was always a dream of mine to have kind of a creative space so it's hard not to go in every day but uh i really have no complaints um i it, we're making it work and i do love the flexibility to enjoy the weather in arizona while it's nice and i've been doing a lot of walking and running uh up in the hills and, and the mountains uh here near my home Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, mate, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. 
Mate, the uh, first question is, what is your daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, journaling. I think journaling is going back to the conversation about language and writing. I think it's, uh, for me, it's a fundamental tool to be in touch with how I feel, what I want to do and uh, keep myself accountable because that can be a little bit scatterbrained, especially when I get excited. Your, your listeners have probably gotten a taste on this podcast. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's super important to have that journaling to get the, uh, the noise out of your brain and onto a piece of paper. So many of my guests that I interview talk about journaling and how important it is. I use it in my daily practice as well. Um, so for those people listening out there, uh, take, a, take, take note. <laughs> Literally take note. <laughs> uh, question number two is, who's the most influential person in your career to date? That's a great question. So I probably have to say my mentor uh, in college, Jackson Boltz, professor at University of Arizona. Um, I met with him very early in my college career. He was a, at the time the chair of the design department at the university. And, uh, you know, I joke, but it's true. He was the first middle-aged man I met who loved what he did and was like happy, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. He just had such a youthful energy and I could tell that he just loved coming to work every day. And, and it made me think twice, like, man, there's something to this. And so he probably got me started on the path, but there's been a number of folks and uh, I'm sure I'd have to think a little bit more to give you a better answer. That's whoever's inspired you in a point of time along your journey, I think is, you know, change that way of thinking or being that the, 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 the aha moment. Uh, so whoever that was, it's awesome stuff. Um, in your business, in your day-to-day -day business, question number three is, I'm sure you have an influential tool. And when I mean tool, it could be a hardware, it could actually be a software related, but what is the most influential tool in your in a daily basis that you use in your business? Influential in terms of impact on the business? Yeah, or just something you use day in, day out that you couldn't, the business couldn't run without it. Um, um, you know, I've had people talk to tell me in the past about their phone is their most influential tool that they have in their business. So what is yours? Man, I mean, I guess it, if we're moving beyond the computer and the internet, uh, where, where our entire uh, business exists, <laughs> it's the design tools. So um, I, the, the revolution in design tools over the past three years has been unbelievable and they're all so cheap and so powerful and there's like a new one every six months and it's unbelievable to me the power that's being built into uh, the things we use every day because at the end of the day they help us make more money and it's, it's mind-blowing yeah no i completely agree with all of that um mate question number four in one sentence what has been the biggest failure that you have you know you've had in your career and what you learn from that failure Biggest failure of my career. Man, that's a great question. I'm not sure if there's any one big failure. What I would say is my biggest failure um, was all the times earlier in my career where I failed to speak up um, or speak my mind or step into the leadership position that I know I needed to. So it was my own lack of courage or own lack of discipline. I don't know if there was a single moment, but there were certain a number, certainly a number of moments where, um, you know, I had the opportunity to do more than I did, and and that's probably my biggest failure. Yeah, trust going with your gut. Right. right? Exactly. I think that's yeah yeah going with you well andrew last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation they want to be in your sphere a little bit more where do they go 
I don't do a whole lot online, but I'm happy to have uh, conversations and meet new people. So you can see me on LinkedIn uh, or you can visit our website, uh, user10.com, user10.com. Got it. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect a few things that I learned or took away. I think the number one thing is understanding that there are other ways in which you can have better user interface through quality design and that the design element of it isn't just about the brand or the final product, but it's actually the tapestry of everything that goes on behind the scenes, you know, the leadership and the talent and uh, making sure your processes are in the right space and in the right place and, and rejigging that and making sure that, you know, you have the right people like yourself coming along to help you guide you along the way. Um, so I think that, that that was probably the biggest thing that, that I took away from today's show. And, and I think the other one is, is storytelling. You know, it's so important to have storytelling as part of your tapestry and the framework of the business in order, so people can recognize your brand better. And that ultimately helps with the overall design and, and the, the services that you produce and people can recognize you. Okay, well, that person has, I know I love this, this particular business because I resonate with their story that they have. So I think that's super important when you're out there building businesses to stop and think about the story, but also stop and think about some of the processes inside the business that maybe could be outsourced or and or developed better design processes to help the business go forward. So um, did I leave anything out? No, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, my pleasure. Well, we'll enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy COVID and staying at home and the homey moon. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we will catch up very, very soon. Thank you so much. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam pack with some incredible advice from Andrew. And please, if you are interested in learning more about what he does, get over to user10.com. That's U-S-E-R-1-0.com and check out all the services that his him and his team do to help businesses grow and scale through better design. It's really, really impactful and making sure that you do have an impact on the world and you're attracting the right clients to your business to drive revenues. Really, really important. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, please give the show a five-star review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and you can follow me also on LinkedIn. We're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave. And remember, Joe, good life. And a crack.